Hi, this is Karen Kelly, and you're listening to An Appetite for Life. There's a great mix on this show with various topics, amazing guests, and the occasional celebrity guest. So on today's show, I'm joined by international recognized speaker, coach mentor, supervisor, leadership facilitator, and founder of the British School of Coaching. So I'd like to welcome Judith Barton. So welcome, Judith. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be with you. And oh, thank you for our time together. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for being on the show today. So can you tell us a little bit about the School of Coaching and what's involved and when it all started? <laughs> I can. And I, I think, I mean, thinking about this, when, whenever I think about BSE, I think, well, almost has to go back to being a little girl. That's where it really sort of starts. And I, and I think about that and I think about, you know, I grew up in a small, small sort of, yeah, small village, small town. And, and you, you know, with a very sort of secure family and that, and that's what, that's yeah. what I, that's what I knew. And I had a mother who got involved in, in her own, she was sort of doing soft furnishings and that was her business, but it was very much to contribute to the family pot and dad was looking after a, a, a cancency function, but had lots of ideas, but it was very balanced, so creative balanced. And I, and I he always used to talk about, you know, if you can see it, you can do it. Yes. And, and that sort of stuck really uh, with me. And I'd always, and I always felt, so that must have lodged somewhere in me. Yeah, and having remember, that vision sort of thing, even as a little girl. Yeah, yeah, as a little girl, and then I, as a little girl, I was, I fell ill when I was seven to, on my birthday, oh. um, to this very strange thing, and I, and I, it culminated in losing a lung, oh, and I, wow. I was in hospital in Manchester, so that was sort of 70, 80 miles away, and it was actually where the NHS started, um, hospital, so it was what was known as Davy Hume, and uh, I think it's now probably Trafford General or something like that, or Trafford District, oh, I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah. But I was there and my parents had to rent a flat because they had to, they, to be with me. So one worked and one. And I now realise just what a challenge that was. Yeah, and how stressful there. that would have been. Wow, gosh, yeah, yeah that's yeah. incredible. So I did, I did that and, it, and, it, and I think inside this sort of independent little girl sort of grew because you know, I was, we weren't sure whether she would, she would make it when oh, I read gosh. my notes. You could had that you fight in you then, didn't you? Yeah, you could, you could see it. And I think, and, and I can think of another example, which sort of leads me to BSC, is when you sort of got to your 14 options and choices at school, uh, there was a great drive to, to, to do domestic science, as it was called, now home economics. I'm sure it's probably called something else. Yeah. But, and I said, no, <laughs> that's not, I don't want to do that. Uh, and I, um, <laughs> it was so funny because I couldn't understand why, because there was no other options. And I wanted to do religious knowledge. And it wasn't necessarily about whilst I knew quite a bit, because my family were great churchgoers and it gave us a... A, a rhythm to our week but but I wanted and I convinced the head to, I was going to study on my own and everybody else was by the cookers and I was studying in a little little side box almost the stationary cupboard or whatever so in, you didn't uh, take part in the classes then as nope, such wow I, I studied <laughs> uh, and I and I think 
is that where this came from that I always felt that I could do stuff that I wanted to do on on my own and, yeah. and drive that and determination like that. yeah and that continued and what I discovered was I love seeing people grow I couldn't understand if someone wants to do something why they don't do it it, it was not a dynamic I had yeah so, so what's a, holding them back you know why yeah. why are they not going why, for their dreams sort of thing yeah why aren't they going for the dreams why what what is it and of course that's probably the naivety and many people who go and do things do it out of almost an innocence or an ignorance or naivety that because that, so therefore we don't see the barriers yeah yeah <laughs> um and i i decided to study sort of a mix of psychology and business and I went to work in sort of corporate um, and NHS after qualifying and I loved what I did and I loved working with the cultures and the dynamics but I thought I could do this with people on a one-to-one and I think that was the kernel of BSC so in 1994 1994, I I I resigned um you know as those of those of with with parents will recognize that mother's words what about your pension (laughs) so where were you resigning from Judith I was then in the NHS and I was leading the learning and development for a large trust and community so we had everything from sort of the chief exec consultants to you know the vital support staff and I'd won uh, the Trainer of the Year Award in 1993. Wow, so, so this is a big, big role for you to leave, isn't yeah. it? It was a big Before. role. It came with a salary and a pension and all the security and a car. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was. And my father had died in 19, 1990. So I think now my mother was quite frightened of what's going yeah. to become of me almost, that she, she had benefited from the security of my father's pension. So she was just sharing the reality of, of what of what could happen to me. Yeah. They always look um, a bit negative, but I think when you become a parent, you can you kind of understand it, don't you, to a certain extent. So you yeah, knew where I, she was coming from. Where she was coming from. And I, I sort of joked that I love beans on toast. Um, <laughs> we can have for lunch today, but <laughs> I love beans on toast. So I knew, you know, I didn't need but I didn't have a car and so on. So that was the, that was the launch. And I always wanted to do what we do professionally to standards. And when we started, if you said you were a coach, quite literally people would say how many wheels. Oh my goodness, you're joking. Yeah, so did you think you were a, a vehicle? Yes. <laughs> Offering trips? Exactly. Maybe you should do that as well. (laughs) Yeah, if if people used to ring up and say, could you give me a quote for a fist to six feet seat at Conway? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So it was was all of that. And I I would say, so I would say, so we clearly had a focus. One was about professionalism and standards. And at the time, there, there weren't any qualifications in coaching. And I, and I wanted to really embed. So it was a lot of one-to-one work. And then it became much broader. So, so sort of the group work, which we did working with, 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 with small groups. And then as time moved on, the qualifications came yeah. onto, the, onto the market. But still, we split our time between supervision 
so that's the sort of the quality assurance of coaches which i personally think not enough coaches invest in themselves we've expanded much more into self-care and well-being the the direct work that that i do and the faculty does and then of course the training um to be to be coaches so across that spectrum yeah because you do offer a range of courses so you've got executive coaching career development coaching interview preparation leadership um and you're recognized as one of the top schools in executive coaching profession so congratulations on that um but what what type of clients do you actually get through your door because i know it's quite varied isn't it 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 is and that's the joy that that really is so we we would so for example on the one-to-one service you might find that you you have i think first karen there's a common theme but if you're going to commit to one-to-one coaching, you have to be committed. So that sounds really obvious. It's the client, uh, you mean, don't you? The client's yeah. committed, yes. Yeah. You have to say, so I'm going to do this. And I don't think that's any different to any other thing. If you say, I am going to commit to, um, you know, doing a triathlon or whatever. And I suppose I shouldn't ally it to sport because that's what a lot of people think. But if someone says, I want to establish my business and I want this particular marketplace and and that marketplace is international uh, and, you know, but you don't like working into the evening and that's that's where your marketplace works. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. So, So the same applies with coaching. If you're not committed, you cannot coach someone who doesn't want to be coached. No, no. And or who thinks or who thinks it's a one off thing. Yeah. It's ongoing, isn't it? You need to maintain. You need to maintain it. And yeah. you really need to, you need to work on yourself. And as a coach, I would say, often the real work happens between the sessions. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and really think about because there's actions. And when I'm working with someone, there's usually a lot of homework. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, we need to maximize our 75 minutes together. So at that side, you might, you might get as, as, and, you know, we, we will get people from international business, we'll get people from our own government, international governments as part of the work that the U- UK does in terms of international trade. You know, they do a fantastic job if, if people are looking for export, you know, really hook into that facility and, it, and enjoy it because it's, it's, it's there. Um, and we've done work in, in a number of, of, of countries, you know, the Netherlands, obviously the Middle East, we have a base. So, so those, and those, those territories are not easy. No. You, know, you need to put your work in. So that's one type of client. The other type at the completely other end is a young person who, uh, you know, who is going to university or coming out of university or starting an apprenticeship. And I think now there are much more enlightened parents who say, you know, we've, we've got, they've got the computer, they've got all the gear they want to take with them. I feel I've looked after them, but their mind isn't in the place. Their head isn't in the place ready for this. Yeah, because they're on their own suddenly, aren't they? And that's the hardest thing. My son's going off to university and I don't think they realise what such a big step it is. 
you know, they've got to survive on their own. They've, they've got to be independent, not just all the study they're going to have to do and the work, but it's a whole new chapter, isn't it? And if they really were to sat down and break it down, it's, it can be quite overwhelming. It, it, it can. And, and, and I, I'm not sure everyone's resilience is calibrated yeah, yeah. to deal with how overwhelming it is. I think that's, that's a shock uh, for people. I, th I think that first term or first semester needs to be what I call scaffolded. Yeah, yeah. The, the freshest year, isn't it? The freshest yeah. section. And the excitement and, and, and given the environment that we're in, you know, and we all do it, don't we? We all look forward to what we're going to get. We don't think about what we're giving up. No, and I know that security of your mum at home or your father at home or a parent at home. Yeah. Suddenly yeah. just a phone call, just a phone call away, which isn't a bad thing, obviously, but they're not there to literally, you know, hug in low times. Exactly. Exactly. And come and, you know, and you know, I'll come and pick you up. Um <laughs> exactly. I'll I'll bring you home. And I think it's it's that sort of resilience and I and I'm not sure some of the institutions are trying their best but difficult to be geared to the volume of that yeah, uh, yeah. particularly in the particularly in the first term so or as I say or, or semester so it, it's at that that level but sometimes we we also get which is an increasing group of what I call the retiree returners so the returners so there has been, in the last 10 years, there has been um, maybe more, maybe 15 actually, uh, a sort of an early retirement type culture came in. Yeah. And, you know, I've served my time and it could, it could be in a, in a physical role, it could be in a, a, a sort of desk-based role, but this early. And of course, thank goodness, you know, we're very fortunate in the UK, people are you know, despite the environment we're in, living longer, if you look after yourself healthier, it could be another 40 years. Exactly. So and some do retire too early, don't they? Yeah. My parents were the same. They realised I should have retired later because, yeah. yeah, nobody expected to live that long. We're all getting the cards from the Queen now. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> I hope, in, <laughs> inshallah, as they say in the Middle East, God willing, I will. But, exactly. but it's it's... It's just that, you know, there's opportunities and they can contribute. You know, there's, there's, there's a massive opportunity at the moment for people to contribute on boards of charities. Yeah. They are yeah. crying out. But they don't so, think about that, though, do they, I suppose? No. no. And, and charities will ask us, you know, can you help us onboard this person? So onboarding is something that we do quite a lot. So working with someone, you know, as... as as presidents and prime ministers say, the first hundred days, and we have a, ve a very close relationship with the individual in those first first hundred hundred days. Okay. So that's the sort of on the one to one work that we would do. And you also, um, I know we we mentioned briefly when we've spoken before that the parent might need help as well with, with their young child. So let's yes. talk about that for a second. Oh, that that makes me smile. It's yeah. just a joy. Takes you back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we started we started this in the Middle East, and we were honoured to work um, for the oldest English school in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and it was set up by the British RAF 
I think lieutenant, I'm not quite sure, in the 1950s, and the children would come across the creek. So they would get, so for those who may know Dubai now and everything that it has to offer, of course, it, it, its importance is its geographical place and this beautiful creek. And they would come across from one side, um, often on horses or camels, and then be picked up in the, the Land Rover on the other. Gosh. <laughs> the lieutenant and his wife opened a little school against the British uh, curriculum or British ways at the time. And they ran it for all the, the uh, British military children. Oh, and I see. School is still flourishing. Um, it's, it's the number one, it's been recognised as the what one of the number one schools, if you like, in all the different types of inspections and charts. And it now has a high school. So we were working there to develop a coaching language in the staff. And what came up was, if you think, if you've got 50, I think it was 52 nationalities attending the school. So you've got 52 cultures. Many are coming from uh, great movement. So maybe parents have moved 10, 11 times. Some are looked after totally by nannies. Um, and then you've got a whole mix. So the school is highly, highly regarded. So their upbringings all completely different in their parenting. Yes, completely. So you've got this mixed view of what discipline is and talking and the school had very clear policies. So how do you continue the culture of the school at home? So we were working with the staff and I suggested to the head, why don't we do some training for the parents? And there was something called um, the uh, young sort of young learners. So it was sort of mentoring young learners. So we put this program on that if they wish was a qualification. So for many who weren't, hadn't previously studied in, in, in Britain or in UK qualifications, they were clamoring, they wanted. So we had a medical, a medical journalist, we had an orthopedic surgeon, we had an artist who now was full-time mum, um, we had a father who was oiling, working in oil and gas. So we had this right there, yeah. And we started this conversation around how to mentor your child and the stories and the success and the behavior. And the children wanted to come and see where their parents were studying. Oh. <laughs> so, we, so we got the, the young, their children to take the register. Oh. So it's expanded from there then how you help the parents with their young children how to what well, not necessarily discipline but kind of have conversations yeah so yeah it's about having conversations and what we called effective dialogue and so what what they would do they would sort of I said where did you have this oh well we created a little snuggle space and we had this we went on the beach we took the rugby posts out and we created. So when you think of the coaching tools, we developed those for them. Some, some uh, mum and daughter had stones, had pebbles from the beach and they painted them. So is that and their time together? Their time together and their yeah. conversation. Yeah. And, you know, and she said, what topics haven't you brought up too much screen time? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? really not not really communicating you know diet was another 
and we had one young chap who spotted me in the uh, in the playground and he came across and he said Miss Judith because everybody was called Miss Miss yeah. Judith and I said and this this young person was young and very tall and I looked up and this young tall person was 16 um, and I thought well I know you're not in the school because this is primary and he said thank you and he said why I said what he said well without the course I wouldn't have got my GCSEs. Oh, how wonderful, how wonderful. And the reason for that was he was addicted and he admitted he was addicted to the internet. Yeah, and he'd not been showing up at school. Oh. It was serious. So there were op- the options were medication uh, and, and or being, being hospitalised. And um, he was due to, he was going to fail. Yeah, so you and saved him from all that. That's yeah. wonderful. Really so lovely. That was a great success for us. And obviously even more for him. Brilliant. Also, you're the go-to, or you have been the go-to, for government organisations. Are you allowed to share a little bit of that with us? Well, I, I, I thought about this, and it would be lovely. I said, and I'm delighted that, that we still are, Karen. I, yeah. I, I always think, what difference can you make? And getting the right people in the right places for me, yeah. right positions, so that they can really make a difference to our lives for me is critical because they you know they infect all of us our impact on all of us so yes in terms of specifics that's difficult but we work for national government and and look after sort of some of the most senior um people and those who aspire to be that way uh, and make sure because to do these jobs whilst it's very easy to watch the TV and watch the news and shout. And people at are shouting people. at them, aren't they? And being very critical. Yeah. Yeah. And tell everybody how to do their job. Yeah. The complexity of these, these roles now and the enormity is something to be really impressed by that people can actually deliver those. So sometimes it's about moving upwards to them. And sometimes it's about personal resilience and self-care. You know, they all have lives. Some of them are on 24-hour call continuously. You know, some people are working overseas on behalf of the country. So, you know, I I think there are sort of a a quiet, very much the quiet success. Um, And so it's that and some people recognize that they're not going for positions it's about an external ear you see it's funny isn't it because when I think of our leader Boris I'm Mm. I've never been one to criticize because if you're put into a position and you had to handle I hate to mention it but Brexit which was a big enough deal in itself and then hit by the pandemic and remember he is only human and he's talking himself it's just an example of, you know, who can do that job to an absolute A star where everyone is going to say, yep, great job. We all think you're wonderful. It's just never going to happen, no matter who is in that role. And yeah. I think do, people do forget that they are human and they're just doing the job to the best of their ability with the tools they've got. That's, that's, that's right. You know, you can't, you can't, um, uh, it's very hard to judge and, and I am I mean the work that went on so whether you whether you voted you know stay or or, or, or leave 
then they have to put that at one side and get on. And that work yeah. started, you know, started a number of years before and the, the amount of detail in it. Uh, and, you know, what was so delightful, I thought, was seeing some of that was there was a real demand to work in that function. Right. Because it, it was it was challenging. It was career uh, enhancing. It was skills building. People wanted to and they picked people. And the same with the pandemic. It's very easy to say they shouldn't have done this. You yeah. have to respond in the moment of crisis. Exactly. Yeah. And I totally and, get and that. But not everybody does, all, do they? Yeah. We can all redo that playbook. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's I think more listening and, and some empathy and some forgiveness. So you've developed a reputation for teaching practical coaching techniques. Can you share some of these techniques with us? Something brief that yeah. might help us all on our merry way? Well, I think I really believe that, that to do this, you need to be you need to see it as a vocation, you need to see it as a passion and that practice, it has to make a difference. And just like law, medicine, accountancy, architecture, we're all practicing. We never ever achieve our full. We've always got more to do in yeah. this. Business. The to-do so list is never done, is it? It's never done. It's never done. If I And if I interview someone who wants to join BSC and they say, well, I, I'm sorted as a coach, I go, okay, then. <laughs> you're not for us um, <laughs> yeah, because, because if that's how do you how do you work with your clients so a technique well I really like if someone's listening to this podcast and they listen for five minutes and they just listen they don't do anything else they listen they might need their eyes closed and they say you can't take notes so don't take notes then I would ask a number of questions I would ask, what would you remember or what do you remember? More importantly, what have you forgotten about this? What did you hear that wasn't said? Right, from listening to, for example, this podcast or a piece of material, yes. yeah. Yeah, and what's the intonation? So what intonation am I giving now? When was I joyous? Was I sad? What did I leave out? What did I include? What didn't I talk about? What did I ponder? What were the clues? Wow. And so one of the techniques I'm saying here is the ability to be curious, to truly, truly listen. So it listen is a like skill, you. isn't it? It is a skill. And I'm sure I've seen courses before, listening courses. Listen, you've got to have those listening skills yeah. and know what to pick out and know what to take from a piece of text or like you say a piece of material yes so truly listen and if I could give a gift to a listener would be to stop and and listen without doing anything else and we are listening in coaching to understand not to respond I see right yeah and that takes presence and you know if we, if if you could see this I'm sat up and I think about my inner core so if you do yoga, I've just sat up now. You said that Yeah, <laughs> I've just sat up and not slouched. Yeah. And it's really thinking about what am I hearing? And that's the greatest gift. If you think about your child 
that's the greatest gift you can give. That's what people, people want to know that I am really interested in what Karen has to say to me. Yeah. And everything else is an irritation. You're not interested in it. It's one side. So I think that is that. So if you think about doing that for 75 minutes in a coaching session, it's incredibly tiring to yeah. really do that without note taking. So I think really listening and starting to ask questions that are going to provoke and generate and garnish an interest and an answer, particularly with young people. You know, how was you at school? Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't ask um, them. That's a well, I get the same. I've asked those questions. Yeah. I have. I think yeah. we get we're busy and we're sidetracked, but we we just naturally. Oh, they're in from school. Hi, how was your day? And then you carry on because I know I continue yeah. working. I work from home, and it, I'm so guilty of it myself. I do that. Yeah, yeah. You, you think okay, that's ticked. They're okay. I know. Yeah. Um, you know, life life can go on, and it is it is the time. And I think given where we are, again, if you've got staff returning to work or you want them to come into the office in in the present environment, and you're planning that working, or you want to discuss the hybrid working then as a manager, I would urge everyone to mark out a significant time in their diary. Yeah. Because you're going to have to have big conversations that are valuable because if you have 10 minutes with one person and two minutes with another, that in itself indicates value. And the thing is as well, if you can just purely listen and make that person feel they're respected, you're going to get a great feedback from your employee, aren't you? You're going to get more value yourself. Yes, you 100%. are. And that's, and that's what Simon Sinek, one of the sort of writers about marketing, and talks about loyalty. Loyalty being when someone offers you more money and you don't go, you know, or, you know, you, you, you've got to, you, you know, you know you're going to pay more for a product, but you'll pay for it because you, you, it doesn't even do some of the features you want, but you're loyal to that brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you go to the restaurant regularly and they don't even actually serve your favorite dish, <laughs> but, but you keep going. <laughs> yeah. You keep going anyway. That's it. That's yeah. it. Oh, I could so, talk to you all day. Can you believe the time we're running out of time already? Wow. But before we go, before we go, we must come back on again, but before we go, if for our listeners, what events do you have coming up in the coming months? Cause I know you've got courses coming up, haven't you? We do. We, we have a regular events on our website, BritishSchoolOfCoaching.com. We have an events page that, that allows people to see what's coming up. And for some, they're bookable direct and some others are application because they're the qualifications. And we, we have to make sure it's the right thing for, for the individual. So next week, we have our two half day sessions on positive psychology, which is very popular. Our well-being coaching program is, is a innovative. We started that way back in, in 2014. And that's a, a two-day with Dr. Anna, who takes us, takes you through sort of that real understanding of self to work with others. We have the qualifications and also um, a new program, which is, is about group coaching, which I think that's working with a small group of people, but using those coaching skills. Yeah. Yeah, lots going on, and we have a network events that uh, are always online if people want to join us. Brilliant. So, for our listeners as well, then, if anybody wants to get in touch and maybe book on these courses, how can they get in contact with you? Oh, thank you, Karen. Well, there's a number of ways. There is 
through the website britishschoolofcoaching.com there's also through instagram and we're on the home of coaching and we're on linkedin and obviously you can message me directly uh, judith barton on on, on linkedin and uh, you know you'll see also a number of the faculty there so please just start a conversation Wonderful. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And I wish you all the best and look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you. And I've really enjoyed being on Appetite for Life. Thank you, Karen. You've been listening to An Appetite for Life, sponsored by Daybank House Dental Practice, where happiness starts with a smile. If you are interested in any of my packages or wish to be a guest on this show, then you can contact me via my social media pages, Karen Kelly Podcasts, or send an email to carolindakelly at btinternet.com.